Listen to me for a second. The Bible says that all things work for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Think about this for a second. The enemy may try to bring forth grief and pain and chaos and all these things in your life, but what is the first thing you should do when those things happen? Just cry out to him. The first thing you should be looking forward is to him. That is the first thing we should be doing. When you do that, and the crisis is taking place without realizing your victory is already at hand because you're pointing to the one that's going to give it to you. Amen. Instead of concentrating on the chaos, you're looking on to the one that's giving you the victory. Amen. So that's why I said from the midst of your crisis, you can call out your victory because it's coming. The victory is coming. It's Focus on the crisis. That's where people fail. That's where people fail. The crises are going to come. The issues are going to come. He says it in his word. But look at me. Keep your eyes fixed on me. Amen? Go with me to chapter 35, verse 1. Let's start breaking down this chapter. Chapter 35, verse 1. Says, then God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there, and make an altar there to God, who appeared to you when you fled from the face of Esau, your brother. Listen to me for a second. Let's read that again because I don't want you to miss anything. I need you to pay close attention this morning, please. Then God said to Jacob, Arise. Go up to Bethel. Remember, where was he? Jacob was in Shechem. Okay, Jacob was in Shechem. And God tells him, arise, go to Bethel, and dwell there. Dwell means pitch a tent, make this a permanent place. This is the place that I told you since way back then that I was going to get you to and fulfill my promise. I was going to be faithful in your whole journey but my ending goal was for you to get to Bethel, not Shechem. You decided to stop at Shechem, you suffer the consequences. We decided to stop in other places where God tells us to, we suffer the consequences. If we would just listen to God and go to the place that he's called to go, even if you don't understand, even if you don't want to go there, but you go there, you will reap the benefits. Jonah went to Tarshish instead of Nineveh. What happened? I swallowed up. So for the consequences, what did he end up? And then never. You just made your journey a lot longer than it should have been. There's some of you that are making your journey a lot longer than it should be. You know where you're supposed to be. You know what God has called you to do. Yet you continue to go to Tarshish and to Shechem and to all these other places that God has not told you to go because you're looking for something to fulfill yourself that you're not going to find in those places. Amen. And in the midst of it, you're going to suffer consequences and you're going to suffer grief if you're, not, if you're not suffering them already. I think it's time to arise Amen. and go to Bethel. I think it's time to arise and go to the place that God has told Amen. you to go. 
Stop making your journey long enough. Now, in chapter 35, verse 1, God is reminding Jacob of a vow he made since God himself had fulfilled the vow to Jacob. Remember, God, his vow to Jacob was to get him to Bethel safe and sound. There's a lot of things that have taken place. Jacob has, himself has been spared of all these. Remember that. He, he faced Esau, where his brother wanted to kill him out some 20 plus years ago, and he, 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 saw, he, he thought death was inevitable, and what happened? God spared him. The grace of God covered him. There, there was no confrontation at all. As a matter of fact, there was nothing but love from his brother. You think, what in the world is going on? But like I said before, God was working not only in the life of Jacob, but God was working in the life of Esau. And so when they came together, those, those, those bitterments and, and resentment that Esau had at one point in time were gone. Were gone. God is reminding Jacob something here. I'm fulfilling my promise. I kept my deal of the bargain. Now it's time to keep your end of the bargain. I think God is trying to tell somebody this morning, it's time to keep your end of the bargain. Sometimes, see, too many times we tell God, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that and all this stuff, but the second things rise up and it gets a little bit too heated, uh, we kind of avoid those plans and go the opposite direction, right? I know I'm not the only one. Too many times we promise God that we're going to do this, we're going to do that, and, and then all of a sudden that promise goes right out the window. But let's read on that vow that Jacob did to God. Go with me to Genesis 28, verse 20 and 21. Genesis 28, verse 20 and 21. <clears throat> and this is the vow that Jacob made to God. If God will get him safe and sound to Bethel. It says, then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and keep me in this way that I am going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I come back to my father's house in peace. Where was his father's house? Bethel. That I may come back to my father's house in peace. Then the Lord shall be my God. Now we came across that scripture when we passed through Genesis 28. We said, who is Jacob to demand anything from God? Right? That's like kind of what we do at times where God would say, God, if you do this, then I'm going to do this. But we, we want God to act first as if we tell God what to do. Not realizing that it is God that directs your path. It's not realizing that it is God that directs your footsteps. And so we came across a scripture and we thought at one point in time, well, who is Jacob? Well, who are we? Because last time I checked, Jacob is not the only one doing this. I'm pretty sure we've been here at one point or another. God, if you do this, I will do this. I'm sure God is looking down saying, really? Who are you? If it wasn't because of me, you would have made it this far anyways. Because a lot of things you've asked me to do or you told me you were going to do that you haven't done. Yeah, I've still been faithful. Amen. I still have fulfilled my end of the bargain. Thank you, Lord. 
I still have been there for you. I still have protected you and your family. I still have provided for you, even though you've turned your back on me. Even though to the point that you turn your back on me, I've still been there. I still have shown you grace. I still have shown you mercy. I still have given you strength when you wanted to throw in the towel. I have been there for you. And yet you're giving me an ultimatum? Really? But there's power in remembering. There's power in remembering. Genesis 35, I subtitled, I, I subtitled it, Power in Remembrance. You guys remember the story of Noah? When God remember Noah? Every time God remembers, what happens? It is attached to something. It's attached to something. And so God is reminding Jacob of, of the vow that he did because he's about to do something in the life of Jacob. And I want to tell you this morning, God is reminding you of what he's told you because he's about to do something in your life. Every time God remembers you, there is a blessing attached to that remembrance. Now, I don't want you to think for one second that God forgot about you. It is the acknowledgement of the living out the word of God that is seen in your life that then God remembers, God provides, God blesses. God doesn't forget about you. And he sees you living out his word. When he sees that, he acknowledges your life and he blesses. Because you're living according to what scripture says. That is his faithfulness attached to the acknowledgement that he sees over your life. And so God here is telling Jacob, I am I'm, I'm reminding you of the vow that you made because I fulfilled my promise. And if you fulfill your promise, I'm about to pour over your life in a minute. But, but, there's always something that we need to do. There's also something interesting in verse 1. God tells Jacob, arise and go up to Bethel. Arise and go up to Bethel. Now on a map, if you look where Shechem was and where Bethel was, Shechem is to the north of Bethel. Why is God telling Jacob, arise and go up to Bethel when Bethel is south of Shechem. If we read this, it doesn't make any sense. But in the spiritual realm, God is telling Jacob something. He's saying, arise, leave the world behind and come into my presence. What does Bethel mean? House of God. He says, leave the world, leave Shechem, and come into my house. Amen. Arise, leave behind, and come into my house. This is what I've been waiting for. It almost seems that the father and the prodigal son, yeah. right? That's the, it kind of seems like this story here is happening with Jacob and God. And so at first we read that and we say, well, it's, this doesn't make any sense if we're looking at it on a map, but God knew what he was doing. He said, I need you to leave Shechem behind. There is nothing good for you. Remember, Shechem was a godless city. Even though it is in the land of Canaan, 
in the vicinity of Canaan, it was a godless city. It was part of Canaan, but it wasn't part of the promised land itself that God had told him to go back to. That was not the place that God had told Jacob to go to in the previous chapters. He was specific about going to Bethel. It was Bethel, remember when he had that encounter on his journey, when he slept on that rock and he had the vision of the ladder, of the angels ascending and descending, he named that place something. We'll get to that in a minute. So there's power in remembering. And again, who is the one that benefits when we remember? When God remembers, better yet? You and I. We're the ones that benefit. So it is good for us to, to be living what the, world, what the word says to be living because at the end of the day, when God pours out the blessing, it is you and I who benefit of those blessings. He is the blesser, but we are the one being blessed. Now, also in verse 1, there are four commands to Jacob. I'm going to give you three points throughout this sermon on them. But there are four commands on verse 35. It says, God said to Jacob, the first one, arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there, make an altar to the God where you fled from to the face of Esau. There were four right there. Arise, go to, Bethel, go to Bethel, dwell, and make an altar. Four commands by God. Specific commands by God. Let's continue to read, though. So God gives four commands. Don't forget that. He first gives a command. Now let's see how Jacob answers. Verse 2, it says, And Jacob said to his household, and to all who were with him, listen to this, put away the foreign gods that are among you. Purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel, and I will make an altar there to God who answered me in the day of my distress and has been with me in the way which I have gone. So then Jacob and all, so that so they gave Jacob all the foreign gods which were in their hands and the earrings which were in their ears, and Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree which was in Shechem. Here we see something that was lingering in the life of Jacob and his family, and Jacob was aware of it. Jacob is not to be spared here. Even though Jacob is acknowledging what's taking place and calling it out to, it, to the open, Jacob knew of these things. And if you guys remember, these foreign gods came from Rachel and Leah and their father Laban. If you guys remember, Laban was... A pagan. I mean, he believed in anybody that came along through that front door. Anybody that was blessing him at that moment, he believed in that person. Whoever is blessing me at that moment, that's my God. And so it says, the scripture says that he had many idols, many figures, and that when Rachel and Leah left and Jacob left, that Rachel took those, those gods 
and hid them under her. And then when Laban chased him, says, where are my gods? She says, oh, I can't give it to you. You know, it's that time of the month, so I can't get up from the horse. <laughs> so the whole journey of Leah and Rachel and, and, and Jacob, they have been carrying these gods. And so has the God been their true God throughout this journey? Yet we see them in the possession of all these fake idols, of all these foreign gods, and even through that journey, God still sustained them. How merciful is God? That even though they were doing something that they shouldn't have been doing, maybe in the midst of the journey when things got a little bit heated, they said, well, maybe I'll take out this little God and pray to this one. Who knows? I mean, it wasn't their possession. But yet was, God was always present. God was always there because he had made a promise to Jacob in, in chapter 28, as we saw. He says, I will get you to Bethel. I will be your God. I will get you to the place where I need to get you, says the Lord. I need you to get rid of all the foreign gods. I need you to get, get rid of all the idols in your life. And you know idols and foreign gods can be anything that you place in the presence of God? Anything. I mean, even to the point of family. God is supposed to be above everything, church. Above everything. He's first. First and foremost, then everything else follows. When you learn how to, how, how to live your life that way, you're living your life in order. Because God is a God of order. God does not like disorder in our lives. And so when we try to place him or we try to fit him in somewhere, our lives are always out of order. Always. You see things not happening or not working in, in your favor or, or, or things just, you're just trying to wrap your head around and say, why is this not working out? Time and time again, I know what I need to do. It just doesn't come out. Your life's out of order. God is not first. Trust me. You need to pause for a second, take a look at yourself in the mirror and say, what's going on, Lord? God will speak to you directly and tell you, your life is out of order. I need to be first. When you put me first, then everything else will follow. Does it? Scripture says that? Put me first and everything else will follow along. I need to be first. You may not understand it, but I need to be first. You may not like the position that you're in, but I need to be first. You place me first, I guarantee you I will put everything in order for you. So we see these foreign gods, we see these false gods are in the presence and Jacob says, give me all of them. Not only all those gods, but take away the earrings. Now the earrings per se were not gods, but were kind of like a jewelry that symbolized something. So it was kind of attached to what uh, uh, you can say an idol could almost be. And so he says, not only do I want the idols and the foreign gods, I want your earrings too. We need to make sure that when we go before the presence of God, we are completely stripped. I mean, we came into this world, what? Naked and naked we will leave. I need to strip everything off of our lives that we know that we should not be carrying. 
I need all the foreign gods. I need all the earrings, and I'm going to get them, and I'm going to put them on the ter- on the turnpit tree, which is in where? And Shechem. And Shechem represents what? The world. I'm going to leave the things of the world with the These things have no place in the presence of God. Now, Jacob also speaks about purifying themselves and changing their garments. Now, when you study this, it literally meant that. It just meant changing your garments and putting new ones on. But in a a spiritual point of view, it means something else. Ephesians 4, 20 to 24. And we're going to tie in scripture right quick. So if you like to read scripture, you came to the right day. Amen. Ephesians 4, 20 to 24. It says, but you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to deceitful lust remember this is exactly what jacob had happened until now this is a type of man that jacob had was and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on a new man which was created according to god in true righteousness and holiness and true righteousness and holiness. Here is God telling Jacob, I need you to strip yourself. Jacob says, okay, fine. Not only am I stripping myself of all these foreign gods, of all these earrings, but we're stripping ourselves from our garments. We're removing what's not pleasing to God and putting on what we need to put on before we go before a holy God. And that's why the scripture is tied into what it says in Isaiah 61.10. Look what Isaiah says. 61.10. Go with me quickly. Isaiah 61. Yeah, I like reading from here. <laughs> Isaiah 61 says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of what? salvation he has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels leave behind everything that is not pleasing to me strip yourself away what is of the world and put on the robe of righteousness these garments of holiness because i am a holy god and you cannot come in my presence filthy with those rags strip yourself completely completely you cannot go before the presence of God in dirty rags Jacob understood that if he was going to be in the presence of God they had to be cleansed completely now go back to verse 4 
It says, So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods which were in their hands, and the earrings which were in their ears, and Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree which was in Shechem. Verse 4 In verse 4, we see one of the four burials that take place in this chapter 35. And maybe you read that and you say, I don't understand what he's trying to say by that. Well, in this chapter 35, we're not going to touch on all four of them today because I'm going to split the chapter in half. We'll finish it next week. But there are four burials in this chapter. Number one is Deborah, which is Rebecca's nurse. And you say, well, what in the world is Deborah doing in this chapter? We'll get to that in a minute. But the first death is the death of Deborah, which was Rebecca's nurse, which was the mother of Jacob. The second burial is Rachel, Jacob's wife. Rachel dies in this chapter. And we spoke about this way back when. She prophesied her death. If you guys remember that. The third burial is Isaac. In this chapter, Isaac, the father of Jacob, will die. And the fourth burial is what is spoken about here in verse 4. This whole thing of him getting all these things and leaving it under the terebinth tree, what is he doing? He's burying them. He is burying all these foreign gods all these earrings, all these dirty garments that they've been carrying all this time. Remember, God, uh, Jacob is being very specific here. He knows that the garments they've been wearing have been the ones that they've been carrying throughout this journey and have been in the ones that have been in the presence of all these foreign gods. So he says, not only are the foreign gods going to be buried, the earrings are going to be buried, but these garments are filthy. They're also going to be buried. This is the fourth burial that takes place in chapter 35. And it's, 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 it's a more of a spiritual, when, when you look at it, than an actual physical, because it's not an actual person that's dying, but there are material things that are being buried by Jacob because they are no longer ruling over his life or the life of his family. They no longer have a place in his life or the life of his family. He's understanding that as of, as of this point, they're gone. We are living Shechem behind, we are leaving the world behind, we are leaving everything that the world has given us up to this point, we're leaving all that not only behind, we are burying it in the world. Because before we go before a holy God, we need to make sure we are clothed in righteousness and holiness. Now the first point that I want to give you is that our devotion to God is based on our holiness. And you say, well, we can never be holy enough. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is the commitment to not worship any other God. That's what holiness is. The commitment to not worship any other God but the God. That's the first point that I want to share with you guys. Our devotion to God is based on our holiness, our commitment to God. Now let's continue to read chapter um, 35, verse 5. It says, And they journeyed, and the terror of God was upon the cities that were all around them. And they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. 
So Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan, he and all the people who were with him. And he built an altar there and called the place El Bethel, because there God appeared to him and he, when he fled from the face of his brother. Now, if you guys remember in verse 1, God gives Jacob four commands. And what does Jacob do after? God gives the commands, and Jacob says, okay, he speaks, now we must act. So what are we going to do? We have to make sure we align ourselves to his commands and what he is calling us to do. So in order to align ourselves, there are things that need to be stripped away. And so instantly Jacob goes back and takes all these idols, takes all these things, lives in, leaves them behind, says, now we are aligning ourselves to be able to go into Bethel, into the house of God, where God has called us to be because we are not carrying anything of the world. Second point, our devotion to God is showing through our obedience. You guys remember the quote that I gave you earlier? For a revival to take place, all that requires is a new obedience to God. Up to this point, Jacob really, eh, his obedience was a, a little bit shaky, right? He was obedient when it kind of pleased him or when he, when he was going to benefit off of things, but not really completely. Well, at this point in chapter 35, he says, okay, enough is enough. I have realized that my way doesn't work. Our way doesn't work. When if there is total obedience to God, there is blessing from God. There is remembrance of God. Listen, partial obedience to the word is complete disobedience to the word of God. Partial obedience to the word is not partial obedience. It is complete disobedience to the word. And so Jacob says, okay, now I have realized that my ways are not working, so enough is enough. I'm leaving all these gods, all these earrings. I'm leaving everything in the world. I need to go before my God, completely dressed in the right garments, because I know that he remembered me. And not only he did remember me, he reminded me of the vow that I made. And who's the one that's going to benefit? Me. So I need to make sure that now I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing so I can reap the benefits of God's remembrance. The second point is our devotion to God is through our complete obedience. And I cannot emphasize enough on that word, complete. Not partial. Complete, guys. There needs to be complete obedience if you want to reap the benefits of God. Not partially. Not when it, not when it feels good. Not when it pleases you. Not when it suits you. Complete obedience even when you don't like it. Even when it hurts. Complete obedience, you are the one that's going to benefit off of it at the end of the day. Amen. Your obedience will be rewarded. Amen. Now we also, hear, we also see here the protection of God, otherwise the faithfulness of God over Jacob and his house. When he says that the terror came upon the surrounding areas. What does that mean? Well, let's think back for a second. What happened in verse 34? There was annihilation of the city of, of Shechem. Right? Levi 
And Simeon just took it upon himself and said, you know what? You raped our sister. Now it's our turn. Now, even though we know that it was spoken in the, in the book of Deuteronomy, that this was something that was going to happen, right? But God never said, Simeon and Levi, you sh annihilate all of Shechem. No, he said that he will be the one to get rid of the Hivites. This is what happens when we take matters into our own hands. We always try to help God in his plans, and God don't need no help. God never asked you for help. We're the ones that need help. And the plans that he's given us. So we see here the protection upon Jacob and his family. He brings terror upon the surrounding areas because guess what? They wanted vengeance. I mean, it's only normal that if you wipe out a city, guess what? The surrounding cities that are in cahoots with Shechem, guess what? They're going to come after you. And so God strikes fear into these people. And what happens? They leave Shechem, I mean, they leave Jacob and his family completely alone. We see the protection of God over his life. Why? What is, when is the protection of God over Jacob? Instantly followed because of the obedience of Jacob. You want protection over your life? It is right after you obey God. You have to be in complete, not just partial obedience for the protection of God to be over you. Are things going to happen? Yes. But will they touch you? No. Amen. Come on, somebody. Material things can always be replaced. I think, too, I think too many times we focus when we lose something material. Oh, my God, God is not seeing. He, he doesn't see what's happening. He, he doesn't see what just took place. I just lost my car. I lost my house. Oh, my God, I just lost my job. God, you're not watching me. Don't you see what's taking place? All that could be replaced. Did anything touch you? I can replace your car. I can replace your house. And I can give you a better job. Guess what? I allow those things because what I'm getting ready to give you is much better than what you had. But we don't see it that way at the moment. We only look at what we're losing, not what God is preserving. Come on. We only look at what we're losing, but we don't see what God is preserving. He's preserving your life. And if he, and if he preserves your life, that means there's something down the line. Amen. That is what you should be looking on. I lost a car. Oh, well, I'll get another one. I lost a house. God has a better, a better one. I lost my job. God has a better one. That's the way our attitude and our, th and our thought pattern should be. Now look at verse 6 and 7. I want to tie these two in. So Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel. You guys remember, Luz was first called Luz by Abraham in Abraham's time when he came through that section. Then when Jacob came and he had the encounter, he had the dream with God that the angels of the ladder, he, when he woke up, he anointed the rock and he called that place Bethel. Watch this. Which is the land of Canaan? He and all the people who were with him. 
and he built an altar there and called the place El Bethel. Not Bethel. El Bethel. Because there God appeared to him and when he fled from the face of his brother. El Bethel means what people too many times, I want to tell you, do. Bethel means house of God. El means God. God house of God. This is the problem with people. People come into the house of God, and when somebody tells them something they don't like, they go walk out that door, but they don't focus on the God of the house. Instead of coming to the house of God to look for God, they come to the house of God to get their, e their ears tickled by somebody within the house of God. That's not what we come to the presence of God for. We come to the presence of God to be blessed by God, to be spoken by God, to be directed by God, to be aligned by God, not by anybody in it. And so when somebody tells us something we don't like, we get up from the house of God and forget about the God. Jacob didn't. He made it very clear. He says, remember, this is not Luz. This is not what my grandfather called this place. This is Bethel. Not only is it Bethel, it is El Bethel. It is the God, and this is this house. This is his house. I need all of us here to focus on whose house this is. That is what Jacob is stating in this, in this verses. He's making specific instructions to his family. Remember what he did before when he encountered Esau? We saw that first, and he, he threw his wives and, and his maidservants and everybody before, and he said, well, man, what is Jacob doing? But instantly, Scripture says that he jumped to the front of the line, and he bowed down to Esau. And what happened afterwards? His wives and his maidservants and his children bowed down after. He led by example. That is what Jacob is doing here in verse 6 and 7. He's saying, this is not only the house of God, this is his house, the God, his house, and we're going to acknowledge whose house it is. It's no longer Luz. This is El Bethel. We're going to build an altar and we're going to worship him here. Amen. Because he's been faithful to get us back to this place. Amen. Even though we were carrying all these foreign gods and all these earrings and all these dirty garments that we shouldn't have been wearing. The third point I want to give you is that devotion to our God is shown through our sacrifice. The cost. And sometimes... That, for people, is too much. And we don't realize that to him, it cost him everything. To him, it cost him everything. And what he requires of us sometimes, that it could cost us, or a sacrifice, is nowhere what it compares to what it cost him. Amen. It cost him everything. It cost him his only son. For your salvation. Even when you didn't believe in him. Even when you turned your back on him. Even when you said, I have better plans. I don't want to go to Bethel. I want to go to Shechem. I want to stay in Shechem. Shechem is fun. I enjoy myself in Shechem. I like to stay out late in Shechem. I like the late night parties in Shechem. But where has all that gotten you in Shechem? Nowhere. 
He continued to run circles around Shechem. When he's been telling you the whole time, go to Bethel. The second you enter Bethel, trust me, I will be there. I'm the one that's going to get you through this journey back to where I'm calling you to be. And trust me, you will reap the benefits in Bethel, not in Shechem. Because that's my house. I need you to come into my presence, in other words. I need you to come into my house. Abide in my presence, and I will abide in you. Genesis 35.8. Here's famous Deborah. Now Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried below Bethel under the terebinth tree. So the name of it was called Alon Bakuth. Teacher? Now you're thinking, what does Deborah have to do in all this? Who is Deborah? Well, Scripture says there Deborah was the, what? Nurse of Rebecca. Who was Rebecca? Jacob's mom. If you guys remember, when Rebecca sent Jacob to flee from Esau, that Esau wanted to kill him, she says, leave, come back in three days, but I'm going to send someone to be with you. Who would you think Rebecca was sent at that point in time? Her most trusted person, right? Her nurse. The same person that has been caring for Rebecca since she was little, since she was brought to Isaac to marry. Remember, her parents did not send her alone. They sent her with Deborah. Deborah was her caregiver, her pretty much the one that carried her since she was small. So the reason why Deborah is in this chapter is because Deborah played an important, chap uh, an important part in the life of Jacob. Rebecca sent Deborah to care for Jacob and throughout his journey and is mentioned here because this must have really, really hurt Jacob. See, she was with Jacob since he was small. So in other words, when Jacob left and Deborah went with him, Deborah kind of became... A mother figure because remember Jacob never again saw his mother once he left from the presence of Rebecca he never saw her again so Deborah must have been the one that would comfort him even though Jacob was an older man who knows that kids never stop being kids that's what I was told by my mom but I got guns blazing you know, my, my, my guns are always loaded. <laughs> and so the death of Deborah must have been very costly to Jacob. Very costly. Otherwise, I don't think it would have been mentioned in Scripture. And so this happens in the midst. Notice when this happens. God gives in certain commands to Jacob. Jacob begins to get ready. Jacob is aligning himself. And when Jacob is aligning himself and he's aligning his family, boom, chaos strikes. Crisis happens. This is when chaos will happen and crisis will strike. When you're in the midst of aligning yourself to the path of God and you see everything is going well, all of a sudden, boom, a crisis happens. To get you off focus from what you're doing. But what did I say earlier? In the midst of your crisis, 
Keep your eyes on him. Because that is what he's looking for. When you do that, God what? Remembers. God remembers. Now the name Alam Bakuth means oak of weeping. Again, this must have caused Jacob a lot of hurt, a lot of pain. But we're going to see it didn't, it didn't take Jacob's focus away from God. Let's continue to read Genesis 35, verse 9. It says, Then God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padam Aram and blessed him. Amen. Come on, somebody. Amen. And God said to him, Your name is Jacob. Your name shall not be called Jacob anymore, but Israel Amen. shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. Also, God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall proceed from you, and kings shall come from your body. The land which I gave Abraham and Isaac, I give to you. And to your descendants after you, I give this land. God appeared to Jacob when? After Jacob had done everything that God had told him to do. Notice that God did not appear to Jacob in the midst of Jacob getting rid of his garments, getting rid of all his false gods, in the midst of his grief. No, he didn't appear to him during that time. He appeared to him after everything took place. After he, he left everything in Shechem, after he buried everything under the terebinth tree in Shechem, after Deborah died, yet he didn't take his focus off God, he still kept his focus on God, God says, okay, you have stripped away yourself from everything. Now you don't have anything that can, can come into my presence and I can shut my face away from. Now you're clothed in holiness. The, the, the pain that, that you just experienced Instead of standing there and staying there and grieving and, and, and taking your eyes off of me, you didn't. You maintained consistency. You kept your eyes on me. Even though you went through that pain, you, you did everything that I've called you to do. Now, I'm going to appear to you. Now, I remembered Jacob. And because I remember Jacob, I, I, I'm acknowledging what Jacob is doing now, Scripture says that he what? Blessed him. How did he bless him? By changing his name. Now, this is interesting because this is not the first time that Jacob is called Israel. If you guys think back in, in, in at chapter 32, I believe, when he wrestled with the angel of the Lord, before the angel of the Lord said, it's almost morning, I have to leave. He says, I will not leave you until you what? Bless me. And the angel of the Lord says, your name is no longer Jacob, your name is Israel. This, this is a reconfirmation of Jacob's name change. What God spoke over him once, he's reconfirming to him, that he was faithful to fulfill. Amen. Come on, what God spoke over your life, Amen. he is faithful to fulfill. 
God did not make a mistake when he spoke something over your life. I want to tell you this morning that he is reconfirming what he once spoke over your life. The same way he did it with Jacob, he's going to do it with you. He reconfirmed what he spoke over Jacob three chapters ago. But not only does he reconfirm, God reintroduces himself. Because God is just perfect that way. He reconfirms Jacob, his name change, the blessing that he spoke over Jacob, and now he reintroduces himself to Jacob as if Jacob didn't know who he was. But just in case you forgot, I am God Almighty. That is one of God's many names. God Almighty is El Shaddai. Just in case you forgot, I am God, El Shaddai, mighty. What I said, I will fulfill. There is nothing that can stop me. So God reconfirms. He reintroduces. But then he does something else that sometimes we might miss. says, uh, the land which I gave Abraham, sorry, let's go back to verse um, 11. And God said to him, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. That sounds familiar. That should sound familiar. That should sound familiar since the beginning of Genesis. What else did he tell, be fruitful and multiply? Adam and Eve. He gave specific instructions to Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply. This is where scripture says that your inheritance will be as the sands and the stars and the sky. Be fruitful and multiply. Everything that comes from your loins will benefit of the blessing that I have just spoken over you. Because the blessing is not just for you. It was for your father, it was for your grandfather, and it will be for everyone that comes through you. A nation and a company of nations shall proceed from you, and kings shall come from your body. Now this is not speaking about Saul or David. If we study the lineage of this, who is coming from this lineage? It's not just any king. It is the king of kings. He's speaking about Yeshua. Let's continue to read. Genesis 35, verse 13. It says, Then God went up from him in the place where he taught with him. And so Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he talked with him, a pillar of stone and he poured a drink offering on it, and he poured it, and he poured oil on it. And Jacob called the name of the place where God spoke with him, Bethel. And I'm going to stop there in 15 today. We're going to finish there, and we'll pick up next week. But there are certain things in these three verses here that are very important. I don't want you to miss. Initially, Jacob said that he had built an altar. Now, here, it's saying that Jacob set up a pillar. 
So which of the two is it? Is it an altar or is it a pillar? Is the word contradicting itself? No, it's not. I'll tell you why. An altar is used for sacrifice. A pillar is used for remembrance. When Jacob built an altar, it said that he sacrificed. Remember we said earlier, one of our devotions is what? The sacrifice to God, the cost. said that he sacrificed to God. But now he builds an altar, he builds a pillar, and in this pillar, it says what? He poured a drink offering and, and poured oil on it, and Jacob called the name of the place where God spoke with him, Bethel. He is remembering this specific location, the place that he encountered God back in chapter 28, when he had the vision of the ladder of the angels ascending and descending. He says, okay, I'm going to build a pillar here because this is the location where God has been faithful to bring me back. So therefore, I'm going to remember God in this specific location. But what I need you to understand is not our remembering to God. It is God remembrance to us that matters. So when Jacob builds this pillar, it is an illustration that God remembered Jacob in this specific location. So therefore, he blessed them in that specific location. Because if you remember, every time God remembers, he blesses. Or didn't he bless Jacob in this chapter? I remember Jacob. Jacob, I gave you commands. Jacob, you did everything I called you to do. So therefore, since you, I acknowledge you, and therefore, I bless you. Now, Scripture is very precise. Because this pillar is significant. Go to Exodus chapter 13, verse 21. Exodus 13, verse 21. Says, and the Lord, who? The Lord. the Lord. Went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so as they go by day and night. This is God reminding the Israelites, I am your pillar by day. I give you what? Protection. I give you shadow. Nobody is going to get to you. But by night, I'm also your light. And in the midst of darkness, I will be your light to guide the way where you need to go. See, I am remembering you as long as you speak. Follow that path, and I will get you to the land of promise. I am your pillar by day and by night. God will never leave you nor forsake you. And I'll finish with this. The power of remembrance has to be evident in our lives. The power of remembrance has to be evident in our lives. What I mean by that 
is that the power of remembrance from God has to be evident in our lives. How? By Him acknowledging us when we are living out His Word. When we are living out His Word, the power of remembrance will be evident in our lives when God remembers you because you are living out what he's called you to live out. It will show in your life. It will show in your life the remembrance of God, the blessings of God, the protection of God, the provision of God. It will show in your life. It will be evident because God remember you because you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. Complete obedience, church, not partial. Complete obedience. Go ahead and stand, please. Praise <clears throat> God.